Hey, Spotlight friends, welcome to another episode of Ave Spotlight with your host, Chanel Shaw. I'm so excited for today's episode. We'll be sitting down with Deacon Ed Schoner. He is an author and the founding member of the Association of Catholic Mental Health Ministers. Today, he'll be sharing his story of his daughter, Katie, and the impact that her life had on others after her tragic death. We'll also be talking about the church and her response to mental illness and suicide and what our response as a church community can and should be. A content warning for this episode, we will be talking about suicide, which may be sensitive to some listeners. Please check out our show notes for a more detailed description. And remember that you are so deeply loved and we're so happy to have you here. I hope you enjoy the episode. Thank you so much for meeting with us today. Well, hi, Chanel. Nice to meet you. Yes, yes. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, who are you and why are you talking to me this beautiful evening? Well, I'm Deacon Ed Schoner. I'm from Scranton, Pennsylvania, the Diocese of Scranton, home of the office and uh, President Joe Biden's hometown. He grew up here when he was a little kid. So I'm from uh, Northeast Pennsylvania. I've been a deacon for about 17 years. I've been married to my beautiful wife, Ruth, for Jeepers, I should know this right off the top of my head. 43 years. Good thing you knew that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Good thing. Yeah, she she (laughs) might be listening. And then uh, we have four children and eight grandchildren. Oh, my gosh. That's a lot of birthdays. Wow. It is a lot of birthdays. Thank goodness for the apps that you can keep these calendar dates. (laughs) Yeah, I can link. That's a lot to remember with my horrible memory. Well, what are you up to, Deacon Schoner? What do you do on a daily basis? My main focus now on a daily basis is working within this ministry. I and other a number of other people have uh, become involved in with called the Association of Catholic Mental Health Ministers. I feel a very deep calling to uh, support people who live with mental illnesses, their families, and the larger community to make the larger community more aware about mental illness because I... I'm absolutely convinced that God wants to be present in the lives of people who are facing these challenges and living with these uh, illnesses. It's uh, maybe an area the church hasn't been as involved in as it could have been in the past, but I think we're at a moment in time right now where people recognize, people within the church recognize that this is an important ministry that needs to grow within the church, mental health ministry. So, we formed an organization called the Association of Catholic Mental Health Ministers. I and a couple other people around the country. It's relatively new, about two years or so old. And our mission is to have mental health ministry come to every Catholic parish. And wow, so, it, I like be- that. so it becomes as common as a grief support ministry or CCD mm-hmm. or prison ministry. It's a common ministry that is every place. And that we all recognize we all have, in one degree or another, have some sort of mental health challenge. Some of us live with serious mental illnesses, and pretty much all of us are touched by it in one way or another. Wow. I mean, that's a beautiful calling to respond to, because I used to be a youth minister, and I couldn't tell you the amount of teenagers that I would run into that would have such momentous struggles that were beyond the scope of, you know, really good, but spiritual direction, right? And kind of went beyond that. And so that would have been an awesome ministry to have in our parish. I tell you, it's teenagers and young people, and that's so often is the focus. But I tell you, I minister to people in their 80s and 90s. Mm. It also affects them. Mm. You don't get a pass on mental illness and mental health challenges. I don't care if you're 7 or 70. It affects all of us to a certain degree. And there's been such a shame and stigma about talking about this. 
and about mm -hmm. praying about it. And even sadly, sometimes people think these illnesses and disorders will make people think that God no longer loves them, mm -hmm. that they're abandoned by Christ, or that they can't bring it up with their priest or their deacon or someone within their church community. So we need to we need to work with God and change all of that. That needs to change. That needs to stop. It's not helpful. And God wants to be with us in our day-to-day -day struggles. And this is one important thing that many of us struggle with, that God so desperately wants to be with us in the middle of all of it. Mm, that's a beautiful message and so true. So you also are you're the co-author of a book, Responding to Suicide, a pastoral handbook for Catholic leaders and when a loved one dies by suicide. What inspired you to write that? And what kind of inspires you to be on this mission of mental health awareness and suicide awareness and prevention? And, you know, what kind of got you there? Well, I tell you, Chanel, God can turn everything to the good. And this is someplace I never thought I would be and in some ways wish I wasn't in this, mm -hmm. but I, here I am. My daughter, Katie, had bipolar disorder and died by suicide uh, in August uh, of 2016. And she was a wonderful, beautiful, vibrant young woman. And she had this uh, mental illness that would cause her and occasionally to go what's called manic, become very high and disoriented because of the mania. But she would also at times go very low I mean, to the point where uh, she, well, she died from suicide. I'm, I'm sure it was an impulsive type of suicide where mm. she would just think that such terrible pain that the, the world had abandoned her and the world would be better off without her. Mm she died, I wrote a simple obituary saying that uh, she died by suicide. She had a mental illness. She was not defined by this illness, though. She was a beautiful child of God and loved by God, and she loved God. But shame and stigma of mental illness needs to change, and we need to be more open and find better ways to treat and deal with mental illness. I wrote this just to be open to my community here in Scranton and my parish community, just so they knew what happened. Much to my surprise, this obituary went viral, got picked up by newspapers and that around the world, because it apparently speaks to what people who live with a mental illness have to deal with. I never had the experience of anything going viral. So the response was was incredible to me. And it was, I joke, it was God's way of hitting me over the head with a two by four, because I heard from so, so thousands, tens of thousands of people. Mm talking about how they feel excluded from the church because of their illness, but they want to be drawn to the church. They want the church to be involved in their lives. They want to feel welcomed in the church. So that's what got me involved in this ministry. And one of the things when Katie died was, is that uh, I'm an avid reader. And I so I searched around all over the place to read about suicide and try to understand mental illness and how could this be? How could this happen? So that's how I sort of dealt with my grief a little bit, was burying myself in literature. I could find very little mm. on the Catholic side of things. So that's why Bishop Dolan, auxiliary bishop from San Diego, and I wrote these two books, because there was not a whole lot out there specifically in Catholic teaching and a Catholic perspective on mental illness and suicide. And I'll tell you, auxiliary bishop John Dolan's a wonderful man. He's been touched by suicide. Two of his siblings died by suicide and a uh, brother-in-law, and he understands deeply this topic mm. and the need and the call for the church to uh, enter more fully into this type of, it's a suffering, there's no uh, uh, a doubt about it, to enter into this type of suffering, but also to bring hope, mm. to bring hope and healing to people that are living with a mental illness or people who are grieving a suicide. Sure. Oh my goodness. Yes. And it's such an invaluable resource. And I read 
your daughter's obituary. That was beautiful. And um, she was so sweet and looked like definitely someone that I would have loved to hang with. Oh, you're about her age, I think. You know, mm-hmm. Katie was 29 when she died and she was mm-hmm. beautiful, vibrant. She loved life. She loved life, had tremendous amount of friends. And mm. and that goes to sh- tell you one thing, that people mm. maybe will stereotype people with a mental illness. Yes. And, you know, mental illness is every place. And maybe the person you think is the most vibrant, you know, joyful person, they can be struggling. And they might be a little reluctant to talk about it or embarrassed to talk about it. But it's not just, you know, the proverbial person walking down the street talking to themselves. Although that those people do live with mental illness and they're loved by God, too. And there's no reason not that we should definitely embrace them and see Christ in them. But also it's every place. It's in every community, every racial background, high intellect, low intellect. It's every place. And we need to just be more loving and caring to each other and recognizing that one external another, we all struggle with this. Mm, that's so true. And you were saying earlier that there's a certain degree of shame and that exists, whether it's, you know, in our parishes or in kind of the church community as a whole in this kind of Catholic community. What role does that shame have in our response? Like, how have you seen that play out in your life? And how would you address that shame of someone that is struggling with suicidal thoughts or someone who knows someone who is struggling with that, whether it's in a parish or in their own community? Well, the first thing, and I always say to anyone that's struggling with suicidal thoughts, if it's more than just a passing notion, but if they're struggling with it, and especially if they're starting to make a plan or think about how they would kill themselves, is this take that as a warning sign. Now, so for example, if we were having chest pains, we'd get ourselves to a hospital or if our arms started shaking or something like that, we would get ourselves to a doctor. So too with suicidal ideation or suicide planning. That's a warning sign to get yourself to a mental health care professional and get it taken care of and then look at it as for what it is. It's not a moral failing. It's not because you're not praying enough or certainly don't go to the priest or the deacon or whoever, a Catholic leader, to get some sort of deliverance prayers over you. When you're mm. thinking that way, get yourself to a doctor, get yourself to a mental health care professional. Those of us in church leadership can accompany you. We will be there with you to give you strength and pray for you and pray for your healthcare workers that are helping you and accompany you. That's what we in the spiritual realm, so to speak, and within the church can do is accompany you. But, you know, therapists and psychologists and psychiatrists also are practicing a gift from God. This medicine of mental health and psychiatry is a gift from God, given us special insights into how to deal with these uh, illnesses and disorders. So that's the first thing I would say. If you're thinking this way, don't hesitate. And if you can't get there yourself, ask your parish leader. I'm struggling and ask them to accompany you to the ER or to to wherever you need to go. I I would hope they would be welcome to this notion of accompanying you and getting you to the proper medical care if you feel too fragile or uncertain about it. Sure. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And so with those feelings, obviously, we take action, right? And that's a small step. It's also a huge step, right? Even accessing another person and saying that you need help. That's a beautiful thing that you can do for yourself to advocate for yourself. So you personally, how have you seen the fear, the shame, if someone you know is experiencing those issues play out in your own life? What kind of inspired you to be able to give this advice and gave you that kind of firsthand knowledge? Yeah, being able to talk about the shame from my personal experience, for example, when Katie's first suicide attempt was in her teen years, when she was uh, 19, a senior in high school, 
she was at the top of her game, so to speak. She was the salutatorian in her high school class. She was, you know, captain of the soccer team. She had friends all over the place. And everybody knew her in our little town here of, um, at the Scranton High School. Everybody knew her. And that was when she first attempted suicide. It came right out of the blue. My wife and I were away. First time we went away in a week and we had a business trip to go on and we got the call and uh, she had made this attempt. Well, she came back to high school and even though everybody knew her and knew what kind of girl she was, there was this silence. Everybody knew what happened, that she had attempted suicide, but nobody felt comfortable talking to us about it. Nobody knew what to say to us about it. It wasn't that anybody said anything mean or nasty. It was just quiet. You know, we often, those of us in this field, and I compare it to uh, that mental health, mental health and suicide attempts are not casserole type illnesses. If Katie had uh, been in an auto accident or had some other physical illness, people would be bringing casseroles over the house, so to speak, and asking us what they can do to help and that sort of thing. They just didn't know what to do with the suicide attempt. Like I said, it's not because anybody was mean. Uh, they're all good friends and they're still good friends. And but they just did not know what to say to us, or maybe they were afraid we would be in shame if, if somehow we realized they knew, but everybody knew, and we knew that everybody knew. Yeah, so we want, we want to stop that from happening. So when these things happen to families, I can tell you from my own direct personal experience, don't be afraid to go to someone and say, I'm so sorry to hear that your child's been admitted to the psychiatric hospital. What can I do to help? In the case of suicide, don't be afraid to say to someone, I'm so sorry they died by suicide. It's not like you're going to be telling them something they don't know. I tell you, one of the nicest things that was done after Katie died was my neighbor, who did not quite know what to say to me, came over and mowed my lawn. And mm. uh, that was such a profound recognition of the mm. grief I was in and just taking that one item off my list of things to get done uh, was just such a wonderful kind thing to do so just remember that when someone's kid winds up in the psychiatric hospital or there's a suicide attempt or something like that that people are hurting mm. and uh, don't be afraid to talk to them about it and do those little things that yeah. can help them yeah completely that makes so much sense and i can only imagine you know the blessing of just having someone be present. And I think when we're talking about, you know, struggling with mental illness, especially to the point of wanting to harm yourself, it's so much about being present. And it's so much about just being there where people are, even if you don't know what to say, or you don't know what to do. A simple act of mowing someone's lawn, bringing someone a dinner, just sitting with someone um, and listening to them are just awesome signs of support. And we don't have to have like this belabored, you know, grandiose gesture. Exactly, exactly, Chanel. That's exactly right. So for example, if someone has cancer and they're in chemotherapy, even if they're dying from cancer, no one expects us as ministers or lay people to go in and cure the cancer. Mm -hmm. But we can do so much good by being there and accompany them and being with them as they're struggling with this physical illness. The same is true with mental illness, with depression, schizophrenia, whatever the illness is, uh, we're all human beings, even when we're struggling with these illnesses and being around other people can help. Uh, maybe not a big crowd of people, depending on your disorder, but being around people and accompanying them and supporting them always helps and is always is something that we can offer. It's not just Ed or Chanel doing this. God doesn't come to people, at least never has to me, and most, you know, in some sort of big 
vision or anything like that. God comes to people through each one of us by being present to each other and bring them, letting God's love work through us to be present to each other. That's the true ordinary daily miracles that all of us can perform to mm. help people when they're in these uh, challenging situations of, of mental illness and sadness and grief and all, all of these things that all of us have to live with, uh, mm. that we can make God present to them through us. That's what ministry is about, is mm. helping people realize they're loved by God and that God is using us as his instrument. Mm, I love that. And so your ministry that you would like to see in parishes across the United States, what would be the role that they would have and how can we kind of tap into that? What is your vision? Where do you kind of see that going? Well, the, the grand vision is, is that a parish community is a place where anyone dealing with these mental health challenges, disorders, know it's a place of community and love that will support them openly, that they can openly talk about it and know that they will be embraced mm. and supported in any of these struggles. The way it takes place depends on your parish community. One of the main things we do is this, here in Scranton and other places, we have spiritual support groups, not clinical support. I'm quick to differentiate. It's not clinical support. It's spiritual support for people that are living with mental illness. So we meet a couple of times a month and we come in. It's uh, We'll start with a prayer and then we go around the room and talk about our struggle with mental illness, how it's affecting our faith, where we think God is in it, and share with each other. And then we close with prayer. It's spiritually based. We also have a support group for people who are, usually it's the parents, but sometimes it's spouses and other siblings of someone that's living with a mental illness. They need a lot of support and being able to talk about it. Because I know my experience with Katie, I had nobody to talk to uh, about, mm. about it. It was not something you go out in the community and talk up to about you know, again, we were talking earlier about it's not a casserole type illness. It's just not something that people are comfortable talking to us about. But other people who are experiencing this, we can support each other. So we have a spiritual support group where parents get together, talk about the experience. We share information. We share ideas uh, on resources in the community. Uh, but our main purpose is to support each other and reassure each other that God's present in the midst of all of this. And again, we pray. We do other things, uh, you know, depending on what we think is needed. We'll have certainly events or public events, because not everybody's comfortable in a small faith-sharing group. So we'll have information sessions where we'll bring in professionals or we'll have spiritual talks about this uh, issue where people could come to in a more open setting. We also talk about it from the pulpit. I'm a deacon. I certainly encourage wow. priests and other people to talk about mental illness and occasionally suicide from the pulpit. So it's clear mm. that this is a spiritual issue that God can be present. And then we try to educate just the general community, you know, from the ushers at the door to everyone in the community, just to know that this is something you can be open and caring about. And, you know, for example, even in, you know, I'm in Scranton on our Sunday City Parish, and we, it's not Manhattan, but uh, we still have quite a few people who live in the streets and struggle with mental illness. It should be a place where they would feel welcome coming into our church and sitting in our pews. Maybe they don't, their appearances are not the, the best, but they should still be welcome there. And even if they act up a little bit, you know, that's okay. If they need to get up and walk around, well, that's fine. You know, if, they're, if their mental illness or their agitation requires that. So just generally from, you know, the most afflicted street person to your neighbor who you don't even know is struggling with mental illness, just be open and, and willing to embrace them and support them in these, these difficult challenges because Christ wants to be with them in the midst of this. That's why we do this. 
the center of this ministry is evangelization. It's We're not going to cure mental illness. You're not going to stop every suicide. But what we can do is, as ministers, as evangelize them and let them know that Christ is with them in the middle of all of this, as difficult as that may be to understand or see at times. Just constantly reassure them and reassure yourself. I'm talking like just them. I mean, I live with, with depression. It, yeah, it's all of us. Mm. Sometimes we self-stigmatize ourselves. And we need to realize that even when we're struggling with this, we need to always remember that Christ is with us in the middle of these struggles. Mm, that is such an important thing to remember. And also on Katie's website, I was reading and in her obituary, you talked about how she was not just someone who struggled with bipolar disorder. She didn't just have bipolar. She was a child of God. And so when we are in the depths sometimes of our struggles, right? Our mental struggles. And when we don't feel supported in a community and don't feel like we have anyone to talk to, it can become really hard to recognize your belovedness, right? And that you're a designated child of God. And so how, what would you say to someone who kind of, you know, forgets that? And how can we remind people of that? How can we remind ourselves? How can we, I mean, sometimes it's easier said than done to stay in that mindset you know, for all of us that struggle, myself included with depression or anxiety, and it's just hard to stay in that mindset and regardless of how much you pray or whatever. But what would you say as a deacon and as a father and a person to yeah, someone? We were just talking about that. One of the folks on our spiritual support group this past Saturday was talking about how their prayer life is dry, to say the least, that they mm -hmm. just don't feel God is there. The schizophrenia, the voices were becoming oppressive, and they just did not feel God was there. You know, even your desire to be close to God is pleasing to God. As Thomas Merton would say, our desire is pleasing to God. And sometimes our only prayer can be just, my God, where are you? But just to cling to that cross, to know mm -hmm. that God's there. And sometimes it is just clinging to the cross. It's mm -hmm. just grabbing it and holding onto it for dear life. And you can't do a whole rosary. You can't even do, you know, a Hail Mary. Mm. You, all you can do is just say, my God, uh, but continue to lift your thoughts, turn your despair, your depression to God as much as you can. And just remember that God's with you as best you can. And I know in the throes and the depths of these illnesses, sometimes that's so hard to do, just mm. even to think about God. But that's what as best we can is tell people just just say, oh, God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And just if that's your prayer and that's all you can say, that's wonderful because it, it generally it will pass. It will pass. You can always have there's always that hope and there's always that reality that these onuses do rise and fall and they can pass, you know, but obviously, sadly, sometimes they can be lethal. They can end in suicide. And uh, such is the case with Katie and with many people. There's about if today's a typical day in the United States, about 130 people or so are going to die today from suicide. Mm -hmm. So pray for them and for their families. And um, knowing uh, that even suicide and the church's teaching on suicide has changed over the years. And I think this is important to mention, as hard as maybe it is for someone as young as you to re realize this, but the church, you know, many people believe the church used to almost teach that if you die by suicide, you went like, we're on a straight going to hell. Mm. Um, you were condemned because of this act. Now, clearly, you shouldn't kill yourself. We shouldn't kill anybody, including ourselves. But the church recognizes that in the uh, suicide, that your thinking is disordered quite often by a mental illness. You're not in full 
rational way of assessing what you're doing, and that God understands all of that. And God has great mercy, even on someone who dies by suicide. And those of us who have lost someone to suicide always has that hope and always has that faith and belief that God understands suicide far better than any of us do, understands the, uh, the pain that our loved one was in, uh, to get to the point where they would actually feel the world was better off without them. And God, I'm sure, at the moment of their death, uh, reassures them that they're loved uh, and that they're cared for. And uh, that's a great hope. That's a wonderful part of our faith, to have that hope in the depths of the, the love and mercy of God. Mm, that's so beautiful. Yeah. And, you know, God's mercy outweighs anything that we're feeling, right? And God's love. And I think it's so important to keep that in mind when you're having a hard time. And the church as a whole to keep that in mind with people that are struggling with mental illness and, you know, navigating those things in their life. And I do, you know, agree. I think especially in this time of coronavirus, we've seen a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety, and a lot of people just struggling to even keep themselves afloat with, you know, suffering from lack of community and just like not going to work and just having such a hard time. And, but the good news is, is that we've seen so many awesome resources kind of birth from this horrific time, which I think is a beautiful and so many more conversations that people would like to have about um, their mental health, about how to support their child, support their friend, the family member themselves. And so that's awesome. So that's, that's so a wonderful example of that you just brought up, Chanel, of how God can turn everything to the good. Even something's terrible as a pandemic, and it has been terrible, mm. that God can somehow not let that be the end or the final word. That not, even out of that, some good it can be turned to the good, just as our faith tells us, even death. Death is not the end, right? Death is not the end. Even God can overcome death. Uh, and certainly God can overcome a pandemic and not let the evil of this pandemic be the final word. That, uh, there, there will be good that will come out of this pandemic. God won't let the pandemic be the final, final word. Amen. I hope. Amen. I'm hopeful in that same vein. Yes. And we are right. so, we yeah, we are so grateful that you, you know, spoke with us today and shared some of your story and where can we find more information about what you're up to and where to follow along with what you're doing? Yeah, I would encourage you to go to our website, uh, Catholic Mental Health Ministers, CatholicMHM.org. We have a lot of resources there. One of the things that we encourage uh, parishes to do is if they need financial help in starting a mental health ministry, we're there also to provide grants and financial support. Although, you know, in reality, this ministry doesn't require a lot of funds. But if something along that lines is stopping you, we always joke, we'll take that off the table. So uh, let's, you know, move on from that. So you can come there to find resources, financial resources. I would that would mean the one thing I would strongly encourage. Go to our website, contact me through the website. You can get information there. I'd be glad to talk to anyone who's thinking of starting a Catholic mental health ministry. We have training resources. People a lot of times think, "Oh, well, I'm not qualified to do this." Well, you don't need to be a professional. If anything, we would we encourage people who are not professionals to get involved with this ministry because it is ministry. It's not clinical care. So you don't need mm. to be a psychologist or a therapist to do this. You need a deep burning desire to bring the love of God and of Christ into the lives of people living with these mental health challenges. That's what this ministry needs. The confidence and the basic knowledge you can, anybody can gain it. So uh, yeah, please go to our webpage and, and consider starting a ministry within your parish. 
I love that. Yes. We'll put that in our show notes so people can check that out and other resources. So at the end of every episode, we ask our guests what their hope for the week is. And so if you need some time, you can think about it. I can go first. Or if you're ready to go, you can go ahead. How are you feeling? You can go first. Go ahead. I'll okay. to hear what you have to say. Okay. Uh, well, okay. I'll make mine very holy then. Okay. <laughs> my, <laughs> my hope for the week is as we're like leaning into October, I guess this isn't really, well, food is holy. So as we're leaning into October, I've been saving the past couple of months, I've been saving a lot of recipes on like pumpkin rice crispy treats, like pumpkin cookies and all kinds of like Halloween-y kind of goodies. So I'm really hopeful that I will be able to execute all those desserts and eat them in a timely fashion. So and not go overboard. So I'm hopeful that I'll be able to make all of those and make all the ones saved in my Pinterest before the month of October is over. <laughs> There's only so many days um, and my mom only eats so much dessert. So like, I really got to pick good ones. So I'm hopeful that I can choose some really good ones. So how about oh, you? That's a good hope. Well, <laughs> fall is my favorite time of the year. I live in the Northeast. And so I love mm. the changing colors and the, the days getting a little cooler and that. So I guess one hope is, is I love to hike in the Adirondacks. So I hope oh you'll be able gosh. to get up to the Adirondacks peaks and get to at least one of the peaks over the fall. But my big hope in the fall too is, is Katie was, uh, her birthday was Halloween. So Halloween was always a big blowout day in our house. We just had a blast at Halloween. So as you can imagine, we miss Katie desperately at this time of the year too. But our community, uh, we formed a group here called the Katie Foundation. Our slogan is shining a light on mental illness. So we have a thing, uh, community run for mental illness and awareness event called the 5Kate, you know, 5K, 5Kate. So we have a 5Kate event at the end of October. It'll be October 30th this year. So my big hope, of course, is, is that we have good weather. And it's a Pennsylvania, so you never know what you're going to get in the fall for sure. So we hope for good weather and a wonderful event uh, for the 5K this year. Sweet. That's awesome. And I'll be praying for a good event and that you get an awesome turnout as well. Thank you so much for putting that on. I'm I'm hope that the message spreads far and wide. So that's awesome. But thank you so much for being with us again. And we'll list everything in our show notes. So thank you so much, Deacon Ed. Thank you, Chanel. It's wonderful work that you're doing. And it's wonderful that you bring this type of topic onto your show regularly. It's so important to talk about Thank you. I'm excited. I hope that, you know, this episode really helps someone that's listening. Um, And, you know, I think we can all benefit from more conversations like this. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you guys again for listening. And thank you so much to Deacon Ed for being our guest today. Make sure to check out more information on the Association of Catholic Mental Health Ministers, which will put more information about that in our show notes, as well as more info on Katie on the katiefoundation.org. We're so grateful to be able to have had this conversation today, and we just want to remind you that you are so loved, and we are so grateful to have you here. Looking forward to next week. Please pray for me. I'll be praying for you. God bless. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit SpokeStreet.com.